Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here for a special episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I am very happy to have you here with me. Like I said, it is a special episode. This is episode 10. Celebrate with me, everybody. Woohoo! We have made it together. It's been a journey. Um, it's hard to believe that just months ago, I was sitting in a restaurant with my wife, Leslie, pitching her this idea for a podcast where I could share my story of hope and then maybe find some other people who had an amazing story that they could come on and tell it and inspire other people and offer hope and encouragement. And now it's happening. It's being done every week. Hundreds of people are downloading these podcasts every week. And I'm hearing from all the different people that have been on the podcast how people are reaching out to them, relating to them, and using them as a resource. So that really blesses my heart um, as being part of this mission for the podcast to spread that hope and for other people to take that away from it. So thank you for being part of the journey this far. Episode 10, and hopefully we have hundreds of more episodes to go. But I wanted to ask you guys a question. I wanted to ask for more people to contact me to be on the podcast. And I have an example of a story um, of Michelle Cousins from last week. When I first launched the podcast, that very first day, I had an email from Michelle. And that was back in February. And she said, listen, I think I have a story, and I really want to share it, and I would like to be on the podcast. Well, we went back and forth. You know, there was emails back and forth, and time had passed. And I finally talked to her and heard about her story, what you guys heard last week. And if you did not, go back to last week's episode, episode nine, and listen to Michelle Cousin's story. Um, and we planned on having her on the podcast. We set it all up. And the day before we were getting ready to record, she emailed me and said, listen, I don't think I can be on the podcast. My story is not important. Um, I heard everyone else's, and it's just I don't think it means as much, and I don't think it can really help anybody. And I told her, no, I am not going to let you rob people of your story because of fear. And I know that fear can creep in in all of us when you think, okay, I have something I want to share, but then you hear someone else's story, and you're like, that was bigger and better, and and I surely can't be as good and inspiring as that. But here's the message I want to come across to you guys. Your story matters. Your journey matters. What you've been through and what you've experienced can help somebody else. I don't care if it's one person. I don't care if it's 1,000 people. If you have a chance to make an impact in someone's life, do not rob them of that light because of fear. Don't let that fear control you. And if you've thought about reaching out to me and emailing me, but you're scared, let go of that fear today. Don't be scared. Because guess what? What if Michelle was so scared and used her fear and she never came on the podcast? I talked to her just yesterday. And I know people reached out to her and talked to her about her story and how it meant so much for her someone else to talk about it to make them feel normal. Do you have a story that could make someone feel normal today? Someone that's going through something really bad? and you've been through it, don't be afraid. So I'm encouraging as many of you as possible to get that courage, reach out to me, and let's get your story on the podcast for people to hear. I want you to inspire other people, and I know there are many, many stories out there, and I really want to highlight you and offer 
hope to people out there who are really needing it. So here's how you can do it. You can reach out to me at tim at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. That's my email there. You can tell me your story, tell me your name, and let's see if we can connect. You can also get me on Facebook, Tim Sawhook, at the Facebook group, Unwritten Life Podcast. Many different ways to get a hold of me for your chance to be on the podcast to share your story. Well, guys, we have another amazing episode today, another powerful episode, and I really want to get right into it. My guest today is she is a wife, she is a mom, and she's an example of how God's grace can heal the deepest wounds. Here is my conversation with Jessica Barnum. Well, I'd like to welcome Jessica Barnum to the show today. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am doing good. I really appreciate you coming on today to share your story. I know you have a powerful story to share. But before we get into all of that, like I do with all my guests, I like to start from the beginning. So tell me a little bit about what it was like before you got married, how you had met your husband. Well, we actually worked together at Rod's Western Palace, which is located in Columbus, Mm -hmm. Ohio. And we met there. We worked together for a little bit. We actually didn't like each other at first. (laughs) Yeah, he was annoying to me, and he thought I was mean. So we didn't like each other at first. It was funny but we had some fun times and then we became friends Mm -hmm. and um we just started getting along and then we started to actually like each other and thought (laughs) oh we have a lot in common you know so we started dating and um that was in 2003 okay so we started dating and then um he ended up quitting Rod's Western Palace and going okay. somewhere else. And then eventually we moved into an apartment together. And I was in there with three guys. So we moved in with his brother. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm sure that, that was, was exciting for you. No, no, it was not. <laughs> so how long, were like, you, how long were you guys dating together then before you guys started talking about getting married? We started talking about getting married in 2006. Mm-hmm. So we were together three years before okay. we got married. We got married in 2007. 2007. Mm-hmm. So what, what were like things like after you guys got married? Well, he had an alcohol addiction. So mm-hmm. he was constantly drinking all the time. Well, we were both kind of heavy drinkers because we were young. You know, we were in our 20s. So Right. You know, we drank a lot, and um, but he was very, very heavy. But um, was this something that you knew before you guys got married? Even that he was a heavy drinker. You guys both were, or what was we, it like? We both were, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we liked to party on the weekends and stuff. But I figured, you know, once we had Peyton, it would calm down. Well, he was also dealing with anxiety and depression too, which we didn't know about, but um, obviously it was there. And, um, yeah, so he used alcohol to, um, to cover up, you know, how he felt and Mm -hmm. he didn't want to share it with anybody. So, but before we got married, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Like he didn't really show any really signs of depression or wanting to, you know, take his life or anything like that. We were, um, we were fine. And like I said, we were really young. Right. And then. after we got married, we moved into a house, and that was in 2008, and so 
when when you first got married, you said you didn't. Mm-hmm. Or let me go back just a little bit in your story. Mm-hmm. So before you got married, you didn't notice any kind of signs of depression or anything. You, you really didn't know any kind of that history with him at all. No, he hit it very well because he was always a happy person. Right. He always was smiling, happy. But there's times that he would get drunk and he would say things like back in his, um, like when he was a child, how his brother was favored over him. He would bring that kind of stuff up. and mm-hmm. So he would bring his emotions up when he was drinking. So when but he was I drinking, never, his guard mm-hmm. kind of came down? Yeah. Okay, and that's when you started. But not, a little bit. not once did he ever say, oh, I'm going to take my life or even hint to that. That he was that down in the dumps? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you guys, how long after you got married did you have your daughter? Peyton was born in 2010. 2010. Um, mm-hmm. During that time, what was it like? Was he, what was he like as a dad? He was pretty good. Um, he was going to work in school at the time, so he was pretty stressed out. Mm-hmm. He, he'd come home, and I mean, you could see the stress on him, and he would just go straight to bed. And he was the type of person that he could not fail at life. If he failed at life, then he failed everyone else around him. Mm-hmm. So he, he always had to be perfect. Um, he was a good dad to Peyton. He loved her with all of his heart, and he just had just a lot of issues going on in the back of his head that he just would not share with me, even when I would bring it up, like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. He just he wouldn't bring it up, or he would get very upset about it. Kind of get defensive about it? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like with you guys? How was your relationship? Well... It was okay. I mean, I wasn't, I was happy, but I wasn't the happiest just because his alcohol, alcohol got in the way a lot. Um, When he would get drunk, he would act, just do dumb things and Mm -hmm. then I'd have to babysit him. So that part was just really annoying. But, you know, we, we did, you know, we loved each other and we are always there for each other. I mean, I never left him because of it. Um, did he need to get help? Yeah. Would he have gotten help? Probably not because he just, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't, he's the type of person that wouldn't even walk into a hospital if he slashed his arm open or if he broke a bone. Oh, he so, would just avoid medical yeah. help or any kind of help mm-hmm. in general? Yeah. So okay. um, even if I brought him up, like told him, oh, you need to get some help, he wouldn't have. Did, he, any, did anybody else in your life see this going on, see that he had an alcohol problem and ever talk to him about it or talk to you about it? Yeah, I mean, everybody knew he drank. Um, I'm the one that saw most of it because we lived together. Right. And I was always around it, but I don't know. I think everything or everybody else around him was blinded to it, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, Is it because, like you said a little bit ago, that he always put on the front of being happy and yeah. maybe had like two different kind of worlds yeah. going on? Yeah, well, he grew up with a family that drank a lot, so it's normal to them to drink. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't like. I don't think they knew that he was drinking like the way he was, but he, um, well, he was just always happy. Like he never showed signs. Never went to like his mom or dad or even me and said, "Look, I'm, I can't stand life. I'm hopeless." Mm-hmm. Like he never showed or said anything that showed so- signs. So you being the closest to him, you know, you're mm-hmm. his best friend, you guys are married, you have a baby together, you're doing life together every day. What kind of signs did you see from him 
in hindsight, just thinking back? Well, we were both drinking one night and he, I pretty much asked him this question and I don't even know why I asked him this question, but I asked him if you had killed yourself and I don't, like I said, I don't know why I brought this up at the time, but I mm -hmm. said, if you were to kill yourself, what would you, I said, how would you do it? And he did show me how he would do it. And the way he showed me is how he did do it. But I did not pick up on it. I did not think. Like, I never thought he would take his life because he knew if he ever did something like that, he, it would kill his mom. And him and his mom were really close. Right. So, I don't, like I said, I don't even know why I brought that up. It was such a long time ago. Right. But it was probably a movie we were watching or something. I don't know. But it should have been a sign, like, I should have caught on to it. And I didn't. So do you feel like at that point he was telling you this stuff because his walls were down, he had been drinking, you guys had been drinking together, and that maybe he had already had a plan in place for something like this? Possibility. Um, I think he's probably thought about it. I think it's crossed his mind because it was just a matter of time. So that night when you guys were both drinking mm -hmm. and you asked him this question, he told you this, what did you think? Like, what did you, how did you process that, and what did you say to him? Well, when he told me, like, he showed me how he would do it, I was just like, you would not. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. And I thought he was just saying this because he was drinking, you know, so I right. just, like, ignored it. And he never brought it up again. Like, I never brought it up to him. He never said anything about it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you guys had that talk that night. And you said, you know, you told him, I don't, I don't believe that you would do this. I wouldn't do this. And it was years later that he actually did take his life. So in the years after that, what were things like? Was it always like that? Every time you guys would talk, you'd maybe hear something really shocking or you didn't hear anything else again over those next couple of years? Over those years, I just, I, he like was always just, going to school, working, coming home, and you could just, he was just completely tired all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, you know, the depression, anxiety that he was having that was just eating him right. up. And he just, like, when he would come home, he wouldn't really talk to me. He would just go to sleep and then go to work. We didn't really, like, if, when we did sit down and actually talk, I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. much. Um, like I didn't really pick up on any signs at all because like I said, he really never showed any, right. like he never emotionally got down to me and said, this, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, he just acted like a normal person. So you guys like, were just living doing, life. You guys were just doing life together at that point. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and I could see that, you know, because people know my story and I've talked about mental health a lot mm -hmm. and just because you have one bad day where maybe you say something to your spouse or a friend doesn't mean necessarily something's going to happen the next day or the years right. after. Sometimes you just share your dark moments with your spouse or your friends or whatever, and you move on from it. You don't always think in the back of your head, okay, I should always be looking on my guard every single day, every single moment. Uh, but now that you're reflecting back on it, and so was your, your guys' relationship just kind of blah through this point where you guys are just kind of, Everyday life, just kind of getting through it? Was it was just every, everyday life, trying to get through it. Um, I was constantly taking care of our daughter and then going and working second shifts. So we wouldn't really see each other because I was working second. And then she would go with her grandparents, and he, was, he worked third shift. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So that by the time he got home in the morning, he would go to bed, and then I would be getting ready to go to work in the afternoon. Okay. So it's like we never barely saw each other. When we did see each other on the weekends, it was just, I don't know. I just didn't feel like he was much of a husband anymore. Um, mm -hmm. He was just down all the time. And when I did try to, you know, talk to him, are you okay? He would just get really defensive and just get real upset. So then I just left it alone. So at that point, when you're asking him if he's okay, he's defensive. So that makes mm -hmm. your walls go up a little bit higher, right? Yeah. So I guess leading up to that, I guess the space between you started to become greater and greater because of the depression and yeah. just the never seeing each other. You know, when you're mm -hmm. married, you don't see your spouse. It's hard to connect. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people who work shifts that vary. And even in the best conditions, when someone's not dealing with something, it's hard because, you know, you don't have that time to communicate just to catch up right. and see how things are going. So mm -hmm. I imagine it was even harder in this situation where he's struggling big time. Oh, yeah. A lot, has all these personal demons going on. You're yep. trying to find out what's going on. You feel something's wrong, but you really can't put your finger on it. And so just kind of trying to deal with that in everyday life and having a baby and everybody's working. Yeah. It's a lot at that point. Well, um, my main focus was on Peyton, mm -hmm. you know, because she was one, one and a half at the time. You know, one, you know, a baby to one and a half. So right. my main focus was on her. She needed my attention. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really focus on Michael that much. And uh, my doctor, he would just get mad every time. And I asked, are you okay? Just got kind of mad. And I just kind of just let it go. So leading up to the weeks where your husband did take his life, what was that like? What, what kind of things were happening? What did happen? Well, he was getting worse. Um, what do you mean by worse? Like, he was just getting worse, like just not even wanting to communicate with me. Mm -hmm. um, I would come home on dinner break from work because I lived like three minutes away. Mm -hmm. And I would check up on them, and it was just like, Peyton was in a wet diaper and a poop diaper, and it's like, okay, how long has she been in this? Right. And so it was getting to the point to where he almost couldn't even take care of Peyton. And I was just thinking he was just tired and just exhausted all the time because when he would come in from work and I would see him in the morning, he would just be exhausted. I mean, it was to the point to where he stopped drinking. Like, he would normally come in and have a glass of whiskey before he would go to bed. Right. It got to the point to where he didn't even have that glass of whiskey, and he just went straight to bed. So I think at that point, he was just done, exhausted, and just... You feel like he yeah. had pretty much lost all hope at this point, thinking back now? I think he did. Um, at the time, I didn't really know what was going on, but now, sure. you know, after words, looking back, I think he just was done, was just done. And was just kind of just going on about his life and just doing what he can to keep going. But he was struggling. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this question. And let me take a break from your story to ask you as a person who was a spouse who had gone through this. What would you say to a husband or a wife now in hindsight seeing these things that if you see these kind of things going on, what kind of stuff could you tell them to say or do? 
if you could think back, if you could go back and do it again mm -hmm. during that point leading up to your husband taking his life, what would you do differently? Well, my husband now actually has PTSD. Mm -hmm. So with him, it's different. I, I just keep an eye on him. I talk to him. Uh, we just conversate, make sure he's okay, because he can have days where he's gone the same way. Um, you know, he's going to school and going to work, too, so he's exhausted all the time. So I just, you know, I keep an eye on him, just, are you okay? You doing all right? And we just communicate, and that's what I would tell somebody, is just communicate with your spouse. Make sure everything's okay. Talk to them about what they're going through, their feelings, mm -hmm. and try to open them up, because that's the best thing you can do is have your spouse open up to you so you know where your spouse is at you know mm -hmm. you don't want them to get to the point to where it's too late right and that's why I think what happened with Michael it was just too late and I tried that you know today it would be different I would be like Michael you really need help you know I'd push him and um, I would so tell his mom you so know, would you look, encourage people to have the hard conversation, even if it's hard for you, if it's hard for them, have the conversation now because it, oh, yeah. it's too late? Oh, yeah, definitely. If, if somebody feels there's something wrong with their spouse and they're not acting like themselves anymore and they're like, there's something going on, he's not communicating with me like he used to, he's acting strange, yeah, open up. What is going on? Have mm -hmm. them open up to you because it's, you don't want to get to that point to where you ignore it and then it's too late, or they don't want to open up to you because it's too late. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would definitely you know, tell somebody to push to op have your spouse open up to you. Absolutely. I think it's important what you said, too, and I, I think I started to cut you off at the end of that, and I'm sorry. You said I would contact his mom. So get other people involved. Yes, get other people involved. If you can't get him to open up, then, you know, if they're close to their parents, to get them involved, to talk to them, mm -hmm. you know, have them open up. Because if they need help, then they need to go get it before it's too late. Right. And sometimes, it's sad to say, but sometimes it is too late for people. Like for Michael, I don't, like I said, I don't think he would have gotten help. Even if I told him he needed the help. But if it got his mom involved, maybe it would have been different. Maybe it would Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I mean, I sorry to take a little break from your story, but I wanted you to be like in the mindset you are now and then thinking back about what could I have done differently? Should I have mm -hmm. pushed a little harder? Should I have got more people involved? And I think it's important that um, that you shared that with another spouse, husband or wife who's seeing mm -hmm. their spouse go through that. Get involved, push, yep. push, push, no matter what they say or do and get family involved as well. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So going back to your story, you said days leading up, he, he stopped drinking. He'd pretty much given up on all hope completely, and just he was just done. So what, what was leading up? What happened? Um, he's just, I don't know. Like He just seemed like he was done. And then there'd be some days where he was just, he'd be smiling, cooking dinner. Mm -hmm. everything's fine like it was just a back and forth battle for him I think he'd have good days and then he'd have bad days and it was just like I think he was just battling mm -hmm. his demons and it, it was getting worse and worse and yeah can you tell me what happened maybe days before days before his death 
yeah, anything particular stand out, what had happened? It is really weird because I actually remember the days before his death. Um, the day before he died, I mean, I had a friend over there. Well, it was his brother's uh, girlfriend. So she was over there, and she was going to watch Peyton. This is the day before his death. And he was fine. He was making spaghetti. He was laughing. Mm -hmm. And even Mindy said, oh, yeah, he was fine. He was just you know, smiling, and he was happy and um, just talking, you know, about life. And, yeah, so it was just kind of weird how, you know, that just – he was okay that day. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just, well, I mean, I know what led up to him doing this, you know, but, um, yeah. So I don't know the two days before his death. I can't really remember, but I do remember the day before he died. I definitely remember that day because that was a discussion that we all, that Mindy and I had because we just couldn't believe it. You can believe that he was happy and doing... Yeah, we couldn't believe that he was completely happy that day, and then the next day he's gone, mm -hmm. and he did what he did. We were just so confused. Right. So... So what, yeah. what did happen leading up to his death then? Well, the next day, um, he was coming home. He stopped at his parents' house to watch a show. I guess he was drinking beer. Mm -hmm. and he got I'm going to guess he got a little drunk and he ended up taking open containers with him in his truck mm -hmm. and he was on his way home and he went through a stop sign and a cop was there so the cop pulled him over and he had open container he had a handgun on him so Having a handgun on you and being drunk is obviously illegal. Right. You can't do that. And so they took him in, and that's when I got the phone call to, that he was in jail and that I needed to come and bail him out. Well, I needed bail money for that. So I went there and got him out and could tell he was disappointed in himself because this is his third DUI. His last DUI was about a year ago. Mm. Yeah, so he knew he was going to go to jail. This is, you know, going to do some jail time, and I think that's what really just set him off. It kind of put him over the edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he knew he was going to lose his job. He had in the back of his head, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to jail, who knows for how long, and it just put him over the edge, and I think he was just, that was it for him. Yeah, so um, when we got home, I talked to him, and this is to where I started, like, trying to get him to talk to me, like, what's going on, mm -hmm. and talk to me, and he was still pretty much still drunk, and he just said, I'm done, I'm done with life, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, I'm done, and then he just grabbed the whiskey bottle and just started chugging it. And I was like, what do you mean you're done? He's like, I'm just done. I'm done with life. That's it. I've had it. I'm done. And I'm like, I still, it wasn't still clicking in my head. Like, what? to me, I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I'm, he's drunk, you know, just sleep off. He'll just sleep it off. And right. you know, to this point, I'm like a little worried about him. I call his mom 
it's like, I'm really worried about Michael. You need to come over here, Mm -hmm. talk to him. And she's like, oh, well, I don't get off work till this time. I'll come over after I get off work. Okay. And I called his dad. I was like, look, there's something going on with Michael. You need to get over here. And he's like, oh, he'll just sleep it off. Just leave him alone. And and I called his brother, just trying to get somebody to come over there because I'm freaking out. Like, what is he talking about? And his brother came over, but Michael was passed out at the time. So Aaron, you know, hung out for a little bit, his brother Aaron. And he ended up leaving because he's like, well, he's sleeping now, so he'll be fine when he wakes up. So he slept the whole day. Then I went to sleep on the couch, and he got up out of bed. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm just going to sleep out here, you know. And he's like, no, I'll sleep out here. You go ahead and go in the bedroom. I'm like, okay. So he slept out in the living room. I went in the bedroom. And then I woke up at like 6 o'clock, and I was looking for him. Couldn't find him. He wasn't on the couch. I was like, where, where did he go? Was this like 6 in the morning? Or 6 nine? in the morning. Okay. 6 in the morning. Yeah, so it's the next day. Um, so I couldn't find him. I his vehicle was still there. So I, at this point, I'm thinking he went out to the bar, got drunk, and he's passed out somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. And so I can't find him anywhere in the house. And um, so I call his mom, and I'm like, I cannot find Michael. Have you heard from him? Is he over there? She's like, no, I haven't heard from him. He's not here. So then I, you know, I'm like, well, I, I don't know what happened to him. I told her what happened about yesterday. Right. And she didn't end up coming over yesterday because I told her he was passed out, so there's no point. And so she didn't come over. So when I was talking to her on the phone, I told her that, you know, he got really drunk, told him, told her what he said and how he said he was done with life. And mm-hmm. she's thinking, well, let me know. You know, she's starting to freak out. Well, let me know if you hear from him. I'm trying to call him on his phone. And his phone's in the house. So I'm like, okay. So he doesn't have his phone on him. And then it was starting to get daylight out. And um, mm-hmm. I just told his mom, I'm just going to call the police because I don't know where he's at. He's a missing person, you know, Sure. now. And so I, I called the police and um, four of them came over. I'm like, okay. So they told, I told him what he was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, everything that they needed to know, I gave it to them. And then I looked over on um, uh, the coffee table, mm-hmm. and I saw there was a note from him. And it said, Jessica, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I love all of you. I walked west out the front door. Well, west out the front door is in a field. Okay. We lived in, we lived in the country. Okay. So... Um, I gave it to the police officer and I'm like, I found this note. So they took the note and they, you know, walked west out the front door and they found his body. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm not looking out the window or anything. I'm just standing there, you know, waiting for them to find him. And the lady cop comes in and she said you know she started tearing up and i was like did you find him and she's like maybe you should have a seat and i said no no i did you find him and mm-hmm. she's like he's gone and then i was like what do you mean he's gone gone where i i was just in denial right 
you know, I'm just thinking, and for somebody to go through something like that, you, it puts your body into shock. And I had no emotions. No, I wasn't able to cry or do anything. I just couldn't believe this was happening. Mm-hmm. And um, then I just told her, well, his mom's on his way over here. Because when I was talking to her on the phone, she was going to he- go ahead and come on over to the house. Right. And said, you have to get his body out of this field. I said, you have to get him on the stretcher, get him an ambulance. His mom is going to be here. I said, the last thing she needs to see is her her um, son's dead body going across the street. Right. So I was more worried about her. And so, but she got there and they had his body and they put him in the ambulance. And when she got there, she was a mess, of course. And she was just crying and we were just, you know, and then I started calling people and letting them know and people started showing up. Right. I'm still in shock. Like, I can't even, like, process what was even going on. So let me let me step back just a little bit here as you're telling the story. And mm-hmm. I, I do this in all my interviews. I can't believe that you're sitting here with such strength telling the story. Mm-hmm. A lot of people could not get through this at all. So I appreciate you telling it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't know, and some people do know, I teach a lot of classes at the Y. I teach Insanity and stuff like this. And Jessica came up to me about a month ago and said um, – she was a little bit nervous and came up to me and said, like, listen, I want to be on your podcast thing. I don't even know what it is, but I have a story to tell, and I felt like God's been leading me to tell this story, and I really want to share it. And so it's been a month leading up to this whole process. So I really appreciate you being here, mm-hmm. being strong enough to tell the story and really kind of relive that, um, not being as easy as it is. So thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to step back just a little bit in the story, just a teeny bit, is that you said you were in shock when you said he was gone. You're thinking gone where, you know, I think I thought he would just left. You didn't even realize like you were in super denial, total shock. And really you were just thinking about, okay, I just got to make sure his mom doesn't see this and call people. Mm -hmm. When in that, that during that day or night, did you, did you start to feel it or did you start to feel it then? Well, it was about once the police officers left the house, once everybody was decided, Hey, let's just get out of here. And, go to his mom's place, mm-hmm. it hit me in the car when I was driving to her place, and I lost it, and there was a song that was playing on the radio, I can't even remember what it's called, but um, Casting Crowns, Face Down, mm-hmm. that was playing, and it was about, you know, basically about giving all your problems to God, and uh I just lost it when I heard that song, and I felt like God had that song playing at that moment to for me to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, think that today, like the, He played that song for me to hear it. And so, you know, I lost it, and um, it, that whole day was just a blur to me. And you know, people were showing up, of course, and asking me why, why, why did He do it? And that was really hard. Like I can't answer that. You know, only he can answer that. I don't know why he did it. Well, I mean, you can only assume, but you never know why, Mm -hmm. you know, only he knows that. So, you know, people were just showing up and it was just very overwhelming for me because, you know, people, other people were crying, people holding on to me. I mean, it was nice to have that comfort, right? you know, of other people there, but it was just so overwhelming because I just couldn't believe this was happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was 28 at the time. Right. 
and he was 32. So I just kept thinking to myself, I can't believe at the age of 28 I'm going to be burying my husband. Right. So it was just confusing. You know, everybody was figuring out why he did it. They kept just, oh, it could have been this. Oh, it could have been that. Maybe he was just, you know, planned it. Maybe he, you know. Right. I think maybe it was in the back of his head. Like maybe he planned that I could do this if I really wanted to. But I think mm-hmm. that day when that happened, that's just when it just he just snapped. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the day, you know. You felt that he saw, okay, this is it. I, I've got myself in serious trouble this time. I'm going to lose my job. I may lose my family. I'm going to have to go to jail. Yeah. And then he was hopeless. Yep. Which is, it's, it's so sad to think about um, for somebody to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, we think about the people left behind, how bad it is. Um, but it's sad and scary to think about that person in the moment, how bad it must be to get to that dark place where you really just don't have any bit of hope left. Um, I was almost at that point a couple times in my story. And by the grace of God, I'm still here alive today and mm-hmm. have people in my life who really intervened and helped. So I know what it's like to be to that point, but how hard it is for the people that are left behind to understand that, to understand yeah. how dark it was for that person at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you some questions uh, about being a spouse in the yeah. days after and in, with dealing with his family and friends and stuff. Did there begin to become, a, with you and other people, like a blame game about why did I miss this? How could I have possibly missed this most obvious thing in front of me? And um, why why didn't I see this? And what were people asking you and family members around that time? Well, um, for me, I blame myself because I was always there with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, I blamed myself for a long time. And why did I not see the signs? Why did I not push, you know, remembering back when asking him what was wrong? And he's like telling me nothing. He would get offensive. I should have thought to myself, I should have pushed, I should have got his mom involved, I should have, you know, a lot of things that I felt like I want, I should have done differently, and everybody was blaming each other, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's had, I think he's had issues since his childhood, and it's been ignored, mm-hmm. and I don't think he ever showed that he had issues, so, it also, I think it all started with his childhood, and it just, you know, I think when you don't get help, it just gets worse and worse, and then, but, yeah, I mean, everybody was just, some people blamed themselves, some people blamed other people, it just got to the point to where we got into, like, fights over some things, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I was pretty much trying to go back to work, but all this fighting with the family, it was just bringing me down. I couldn't even do my job, so it it just was very depressing, and even though I was eating, I was losing weight. Right. I got, I got down to 86 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so... Well, let me jump in here and ask you a couple questions. So during this time, and I think this happens in a lot of situations with losses of children, this depression, people don't know what to say. 
people mm-hmm. don't have the right language. They don't even know what to say, if I should say anything or I'm saying the wrong thing. Um, and I see this a lot in articles I read about this and typical things like this is that people say the wrong things and they can't believe the people going through it like yourself can't believe people are asking me these specific questions or why would they say this? So I'm going to ask you two different sets of questions really quick. One, can you give me things for people not to say in a situation like this? Um, right after something like this happens and people asking, you're like, why in God's name would you even ask me that kind of question? Is there a couple of things you would tell people not to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have people messaging me saying, what happened? Why did he do it? Like, don't ask people that. Don't go up to ask somebody, why did he do it? They're, they don't know. And right now, they don't want to hear that. Right. Because I think when somebody is going through something like that, like somebody, like their spouse or whoever it is that takes their life, mm-hmm. the best thing for that person to do is just to be there for that person. That's what I felt comforting, like people just being there. Like people would send me flowers or money, and I was like, I don't need this stuff. Right. I just need support. Mm-hmm. Be be there for that person. Support them. Don't ask him why did he do it. Definitely don't ask why did he do it. What led him to do it? Stuff like that. And to me, I feel like that's just common sense. But some right. people do. Like some people don't think, and they just they do ask those questions. And pretty shocking to me that <laughs> um, people would message me and like ask me, well, how did he do it? I mean, you don't ask that question. I mean. Right. <laughs> That's, ridic- that's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I didn't even answer those people, to be honest with you. I just like, whatever. Like, I'm not answering. I'm not saying it's none of your business. I just left it alone because I was like, I got so much on my plate to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I would have people that would say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Let me know if you need anything. And those people, I'd say, well, thank you, you know, or I'm in your, you're in my prayers and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's just definitely don't don't say anything about what happened how did he do it why did he do it um because that those are just dumb questions to ask people especially when they're going through um mm-hmm. you know that pain at right. that time they need comfort they need you to be there for them they need you to just do stuff for them like hey let me go clean your house for you let me make you dinner. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, that's what people, that's when people would appreciate it, you know. So you're saying don't come up and say if you need anything, let me know because I'm never going to say I need this. You're just yeah. saying just show up, mm-hmm. listen, don't judge me, don't look for yep. an answer because I'm looking for answers already myself. Just be here for me, offer to do things, and just do them. Yeah. That'd be your yep. best advice. Oh, Yeah. Um, in preparing for your interview, I talked to you about this before we got on, was I was reading an article from a website called TheMighty.com. It said, The Misunderstood Grief of a Person Whose Spouse Died by Suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a couple uh, excerpts I wanted to read to you, and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. Um, what she said was, People were treating the loss of my husband as that would be easier to move on from. I would find love again. My life wasn't over. I was still young. And she said it was funny the things that people would say to her. And I thought something was important here. She said, she said, I remember thinking that I would never tell a mother that she would move on from losing a child. I would never tell a sibling that they would get another brother or sister. I wouldn't mm-hmm. tell someone to adopt a random older person to act as their parent. 
And I thought that was, I thought that was very important. Um, yeah. To people will say that about a spouse, like, oh, you'll find love again. Don't worry. Go date mm -hmm. again. How did yeah. you, how did that affect you? Were people saying those kind of things to you? Mm, no, people would say, would say, oh, you're young. You'll find love again. Um, but that's about it. Like nobody really pushed me into, you know, dating again or, mm -hmm. I mean, I just knew that in time, you know, when I was ready, when, you know, God would lead me to the right person. Right. So even though people were saying these things to you, you weren't feeling that pressure from anybody to need to move on? No, they didn't really pressure me to move on. I just, um, no one really said much like, oh, you just need to get over it and move on, like stuff like that. I've never had anybody say anything like that to me. Um, yeah, so nobody really pressured me to, you know, moving on. And, um, you know, my stepdad kind of pressured me a little bit. He wanted me to start mm -hmm. dating again because he didn't like to see me alone. And when I was alone, I was sad, you know, because, you know, when you're alone, I haven't been on my own ever because... You know, I was always with somebody. Right. So it was just really hard being on my own. But, um, you know, I was going to move on when it was when I was ready to. So the months after this, I imagine, like you said, you're alone. So being alone, you're alone with your thoughts a lot, thinking through. Mm -hmm. things through. Uh, at what point did you start to try to find any footing in your life, trying to find a purpose to fill that hole, fill that gap? What was that like for you? Well, um, my main focus was on Peyton. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we... How old was Peyton at this point? One and a half. Okay. Yeah, so when I moved out of the house that we used to live in, I, I moved back to my hometown, Mount Vernon, Ohio, and moved into my mom's old house so we mm -hmm. could just, you know, start over. And so, I mean, it's... It was really hard. Like, after he died, I would go stay with my mom. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't stay at the house. It probably took about three weeks before I go and stay at our house. And then I was staying there. It, it was hard because it, I just knew he wasn't going to be walking through the door. Right. So it was really hard to be alone in that house. And I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to live there. So, you know, it's at first, I was just in the process of just trying to get the house up for sale and paint paint stuff and just try to get things done so we can just put it up for sale. And it went on a short sale because I, you know, we just wanted to sell it quick and get it out because I couldn't even pay the payments on it. Right. So, yeah. So then, you know, once I finally moved, um... It was, I just knew I was starting over, and that's actually very comforting because that was the end of my chapter with him, and I had to start over, and... Was it scary for you to have to start over, or were, was it more necessary for you at this point? I wasn't scary. It was, I just knew I had to, and I had God, you know, on my side, and he was definitely there for me throughout the whole time, you know, the whole time I was alone, and he never left my side. And he was the one to make me a stronger person. He was the one to let me know, you don't have to be worried. I'm going to take care of you. And, you know, I knew he was always there. And it didn't make me fear to move on by myself. 
with my daughter. It actually made me stronger. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this question. I know one of the main reasons you wanted to share this story was because you could highlight your relationship with God that really kind of helped you find the Lord and the strength and all that. Did you have a strong faith during your whole marriage or growing up, or did it more evolve as you got older or during this process? It all happened after Michael took his life and as I got older. Um, I did go to church when I was younger, but didn't really understand, you know? Sure. Because I was young and wasn't paying attention mm -hmm. and thought it was boring at the time. So, yeah, it my faith in the Lord got stronger after Michael took his life. Now, was that on your own? Or did you have somebody kind of speak some life into you and encourage you in that way? I had two people come up to me um, to tell me to lean on the Lord. And at first I was like, why? He, you know, my best friend's dead. Now my husband. And I just was really angry with him. And, you know, I had somebody actually buy me my first Bible. And she highlighted some stuff in there for me. Mm -hmm. So it, that really helped, you know. And I had another girl that would talk to me about it. And they both really helped me through. And I just remember one night, um, I was really just really hurting one night. And I was just so upset and just crying. I just had this weight on my heart. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it just wouldn't go away, and then that was the night that I actually got on my knees, and I asked the Lord to come into my life to help me get through this, to heal me from this, and I told him that, you know, I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, he is your son, and I understand what he went through for us, and um, when I was praying that, it was a long prayer, too. I felt like it was like maybe 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, I could feel the Holy Spirit, like, just around me. I could actually feel that it was like a nice present. Like, mm -hmm. wow, it was, it was a great feeling. And right. um, so when I actually stood up after I got done praying, that weight that was on my heart was completely gone. When I stood up from that prayer, I felt like a different person. Like That's a different amazing a different person, like a stronger person, like, you know, God has me now. He has me in his arms and he's going to take care of me. And I knew right then and there, everything was okay. That's amazing. It's amazing that you had somebody, some people who come, kind of came into your life at that point, even though you knew what God was or had an idea about um, as a young child. And, uh, but at that point to kind of step in and say, listen, you really need to lean on God, you mm -hmm. know, at the core of it. And we've talked about it with other people that I've interviewed is, you know, they just had to take a moment and step back and let God really into their life and really kind of in, let go and just give it all to God and give it all to God. And you mm -hmm. did that at that night on your knees and yep. that presence was amazing and a big, good, big change in your life, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, after I did that, I didn't. It was kind of weird. I almost felt guilty because I didn't feel pain anymore. I'm like, why am I not feeling pain? I just had to remind myself, this is God healing you right? from this pain. Like, you don't need to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And uh, people at work was like, I can't believe how strong you are. Like, this has been like, I think two months after his death. And people right. were telling me, I can't believe how strong you are. And I was like, it's not me holding me up. It's God. I said, I wouldn't be able to do this on my own. Are you right. kidding me? <laughs> It was, yeah, it's just amazing how much 
you know, and I knew God would take care of me and I was a widow mm-hmm. and I, you know, he says in the Bible, I will take care of the widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. And I just knew he was going to take care of me and he did. Was it hard for people around you, maybe your family, his family to understand that why you weren't in so much pain? Like they didn't understand that you had had this healing from God. They understood, especially his mom, because she was a Christian all of her life. Okay. And she knew, like, after I told her, she thought it was awesome. She thought it was amazing that I have let go and let God in. She said, that's the best thing you could do. So, I mean, I think people knew that, you know, because I shared it with people. I've shared it on Facebook about how, Mm -hmm. you know, I prayed that prayer and how I'm doing a lot better. And I think people are happy for me and glad I was, you know. Because, I mean, what can you do? I mean, I can't sit there and be sad about it and depressed about it forever. I had a daughter I had to take care of, and I had to keep going on for her right. and for me. So, no, that, no, that is awesome. I agree. That is the number one strength they should lean on. It's not easy for everybody at the time, and sometimes it comes in different times and different places for people. Mm-hmm. But that was your time and place. So as you're starting to feel the healing two months later, how did your life start to evolve a little bit more? Well, I started uh, just, you know, I actually started going to church. I started doing Bible study mm-hmm. with these great, amazing girls that I shared my story with. Mm-hmm. And just really started leaning on God and just reading my Bible. And just I just stayed leaning on Him because that's where my healing was coming from. So you said you started leaning more on your faith. You were really developing as a Christian in that way and really kind of starting to get your footing back in your life and starting over again. Uh, at what point did you start to feel like, okay, I, I want somebody back in my life again. I wanted to start dating again. What was that like? Well, um, I actually, when I felt like I was ready to, you know, meet someone, I went on, it was about, let me see, it was a year later. Okay. So I, you know, was ready to date again, and I wasn't in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't in a hurry to get married or anything like that. I just wanted to just get back out there, even if I just met someone and we were just friends. Right. And um, so I actually got onto ChristianMingle.com because mm-hmm. my friend was telling me that I should check out that site because her friend met her husband on there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, it's funny because I go on there. And I'm like thinking, oh, I'm going to see all these Christian men. Yeah. Well, some of them weren't your Christian men that would have pictures of their muscle body on their, you know, profile. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, too into themselves, you know. Right. But, um, you know, like I said, I just kind of uh, let the Lord lead me to somebody, you know. If I, you know, whoever he won felt like I, you know. And so it was funny because after talking to a couple of them, and I'm just like, no, I'm just not interested, you know, and mm-hmm. meeting them or, you know, whatever. And um, it was funny because my, my husband, Rodney, he sent me a message and it was a smiley face. And I'm like, hmm, what's this guy all about? You know, <laughs> Looking at his profile picture, and I see that he was in the military because he had his military uniform on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he's a cutie. <laughs> so, you know, I go on his profile, and I actually read. And let me tell you, out of 
all these guys, when I looked at their profile about themselves, he was the only one that talked about God and about his relationship with God and how he wanted to find someone else that had mm -hmm. a relationship with God. And that made me think, wow. Wow, yeah. Okay, I, I want to get to know this person, you know. And so we started to, um, on Facebook, we started to message each other back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then he he's very pushy not too pushy but he was like i'm ready to talk on the phone and i'm like ah, i'm not ready for that yet <laughs> you know he was just ready to you know talk on the phone and meet me and i'm like yeah let's give it a little bit and right so i think it, a week went by and we talked on the phone and i think we talked on the phone for about two weeks and we decided let's meet each other mm -hmm. so we did and we met and um, we went out to a restaurant and had dinner and got to know each other and talked about life and, you know, our relationship with Christ. And we both prayed about it. You know, we started dating and we both prayed about it. If this, you know, we were meant to be together, we would pray together about it. Like, if this is, you know, the one for me, then, you know, let mm -hmm. me know. And, you know, I pray about it every night, like if he's the one. And it's so weird because I know it seemed fast to people, like, wow, she, but he was the one. And every time I would pray about it, mm -hmm. it was like I fell more in love with Rodney. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so I just knew it, he, God was saying, yes, he is the one that you are to spend the rest of your life with. Well, let me ask you this question. When you started dating and going through this process, meeting him, you guys started talking, mm -hmm. everything like this, did you mention that you were a widow? Did he know about Michael? Oh, yeah. I told him from the beginning. Okay. Because I didn't want any guy just walking in. Because I had to find the person. I knew in my heart I had to find somebody that would be a father to her. You know, mm -hmm. they're stepping into big. I mean, he knew he was going to be stepping in and happened to be a father to her he he knew that and he knew about michael he knew that you know michael took his life mm -hmm. and i think it was kind of for me i was kind of scared to share that because i thought it would scare him away right like oh my gosh you know and he did say well yeah i was kind of concerned because i didn't know if you would be missing him while you're with me and I had to explain to him, I knew that part of my chapter was done. I, right. he's, he's gone. I, you know, of course, you're always going to have that void in your heart. and You're always going to miss that person. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's never going to go away. I have a daughter with him. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, he understood and he, you know, he was fine with it. And we just seemed to let God just, you know, we just let God in and he pretty much just took care of it for us. Well, let me ask you a question. Now, I referenced that article I uh, read earlier, and it was some part about this. It was kind of along these lines. They said that so many people expect widows and widowers to forget, to move on, mm -hmm. to stop talking about them, to pretend those chapters of our life did never exist. She mm -hmm. said, the ghosts make so many people uncomfortable. I had men I was dating in the years after tell me not to mention my marriage or my husband's death to any of their friends or family. Um, mm -hmm. And did you feel like you had that freedom to talk about it with him, that it, you didn't have to hide it, and he wasn't like, listen, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know there was anybody else around, just me. Yeah, Rodney was, he was fine to talk about it. He knew that 
you know, that he was, Michael was always going to be a part of our life no matter what. He knew that. And Michael's name would be brought up. Stories would be brought up. And he knew okay. that he, he was, yeah, was going to still be because of Peyton. So do you want to give permission to people to say it's okay to start again, to find your happiness after a loss like this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you feel like, I mean, and it's never a rush to find somebody else. It's when you're ready. You know, when you feel like you're ready to start dating again, maybe find, um, a, you know, a spouse again. You just listen to your heart and, you know, I mean, even if it's five years, ten years down the road, you'll, you'll know when you're ready. And it's going to be and, different for everybody. Oh, yeah, it's going to be different for everybody. Some people might not be ready in a year like I was. Some people might not be ready in five years. Mm -hmm. You know, it just depends on the person and how, and every relationship is different too, you know. Right. So I know that you guys got married, spoiler alert, and uh, <laughs> tell me about the family you have now. Well, we got married in 2014, and I got pregnant with Elijah after we got married, and um, when we first were married, we moved into a house in Lebanon, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I did move away from my family to be with him because of his, he works at the Dayton VA. Mm -hmm. So he had a job and, you know, obviously I didn't at the time. So I figured, you know, Lebanon would be a great place to start a family. Mm -hmm. So we found a house. We moved in in March um, of 2014. And Landon and Peyton were three and a half at the time. And um, I was pregnant with Elijah, and Elijah was born um, October 2000, and uh, she was, it was 14, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, he's three and a half now, and the other two are seven, and we're, you know, we're just, Ronnie's going to school, and he's going to work, and he's trying to become an RN. Okay. Yeah, and I stay at home with the kids. I'm blessed to be able to do that. And I take care of the kids. And, yeah, so we're doing pretty good and just leaning on God as much as we can. So how amazing was that that God was able to come in and heal your heart really early on, really, like you talked mm -hmm. about just a couple months later, and then really just led you down this path to find love again. I mean, it's funny for a lot of people to think that not only did I find love once, but after a strong loss, I was able to find love again mm -hmm. and be so drawn to it and led to it by God. And now you're living this blessed life. Yeah. Does it feel I, good? Oh, yeah. I owe it to God. I mean, he's given me this life. He's given me everything that I have. And, I mean, I just honestly believe if I didn't find God or let God into my life, I don't know where I would be today. Mm -hmm. And that's the God's honest truth, you know. And I could be hurt and I could be depressed. I could have fallen in, you know, a black hole like Michael did. And it was just a lot of, that's what a lot of people was concerned about. They didn't want to see me go through what he went through. And that's why a lot of people tried to, you know, get, right. tried to help me to know God because they knew that God would be the one to get me through this. Right. No, that's amazing. And um, like I said, 
we talk about it on a lot of my podcasts, you know, that God didn't put you here on earth just to suffer. Mm-hmm. But through some of the things that we do suffer and go through, that we can come through the other side and share that hope and encouragement with other people. And so, like I ask everybody, Jessica, so if there is somebody right now who has gone through this, maybe it was even years ago, or just mm-hmm. recently went through this, so you know somebody, what kind of hope and encouragement could you offer them right now? Well, I've actually talked to two people that actually went through this, and my cur- my encouragement is to never have anybody rush you into healing mm-hmm. and tell you, um, okay, it's been this long, it's time for you to move on, like, don't ever, ever have anybody rush you and mm-hmm. tell you you need to be healed by now. You need to take your time in healing, and everybody heals differently. And um, my big advice for people is to lean on God. I mean, let God in your life. He is going to be the, the most blessing thing to have in your life because it has, he's the only thing that's, he's the only one that's going to take that pain away mm-hmm. and to heal you and to get you through life. And I feel like without God, there is no life. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, God was my biggest supporter. And it's amazing because my life before him wasn't so great. Right. But now that I have him, I'm more blessed than I ever was before. Well, I don't think you could have said it any better or offered any more hope and encouragement in that way. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for being on here today. And I wanted to ask you, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and hear mm-hmm. a little more about your story or look for encouragement or resources, where could they get in touch with you at, Jessica? Well, they can get in touch with me on Facebook, um, Jessica Barnum. Okay. And they can message me. And, um, or I have a Yahoo account. It's Jess Frazzle, J-E-S-S-F-R-A-Z-A-L at yahoo.com. Okay. I'll tell you what, what we do is I could put your Facebook link and your email in our show notes. So if people want to reach mm-hmm. out to you, they could. Yeah, Again, that's fine. Jessica, thanks for going on being so strong, sharing your message of hope and sharing that your relationship with the Lord. I think that's going to offer a lot of hope and encouragement for others out there. Well, I couldn't thank Jessica enough for being on the show today and sharing her powerful story and also sharing her testimony. I mean, she really went from a dark place to a place of light, and I can't be understated how amazing that is to feel that love of God after you've been through such a dark thing. And, you know, talking about darkness and for this kind of situation, this kind of show, it's really about finding hope in the darkness. And I read that many people bereaved by suicide feel alone and isolated. The silence that surrounds the issue of suicide can really complicate the experience for them. Because of the social stigma surrounding suicide, people feel the pain of the loss, yet many don't believe they are allowed to express it. Because there is such a stigma, no one wants to talk about it. And what I was reading on one of the websites was that, in summary, this is what they need. And Jessica touched on this in her interview as well, is to be really listened to, heard, and understood, non-judgmental support, an opportunity to tell their story over and over again if they need to, be in a safe, supportive environment with friends, family, 
to be able to express their grief in their own way and to have no time limits imposed upon them. And Jessica said that. She said, do not let anybody rescue you in to being healed, to going through that grief, to pushing through it. And a couple episodes ago, uh, we had Kendra Zaru on, and she had that uh, big part of her podcast where she said about sitting in the pain. And I think it's so important. Jessica talked about it. She had talked about it as well, is allowing yourself that time to heal and take in that pain and sit in it and feel it before you can move on to get that healing. And it, the statistics for suicide are just alarming, and they're so sad. And um, I was reading that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., which really shocked me. Um, they say each year 44,965 people die by suicide. And for every suicide, there's 25 people attempting it. And it comes out to be an average of about 123 suicides per day. And you hear these stats, and they're so alarming and so scary and so sad that hearing them can really just make you feel a lack of hope. Like, what, what's wrong? Why are so many people giving up? But listening to Jessica's story, in the darkest point, she had lost her husband, her best friend, and she was alone. She was a widow. But she found God. So in that darkness, there is God. When there's a lack of hope, there is God. When you feel like you can't go on and you have no one there for you and you've lost everything, there is God to bridge that gap, to carry you to the other side. And Jessica was such a great example of sharing her testimony. And the whole reason she approached me at that class, the why that one day is because she said, listen, I have a story to tell and it's dark and it's bad. And, you know, I really went through a lot of stuff, but this is how I came to Christ. And I want to share that with other people. So I'm so proud of her for coming on today and doing that. And, you know, this podcast is all about hope. Everything is about hope. And hearing these stats, it could really make you feel like a lack of hope, like everybody is giving up. And there are so many people that can't be helped and I can't reach. And, you know, and that can feel daunting for a person. But again, so where there is a lack of hope, where there is a lack of light, there is God. He wants you to look to him when you need that hope. And I hope by you hearing Jessica's story to see how it can really begin healing in your life. She was at a point where she was really bad. You know, she was really hurting. And she said when she let God in, when she talked about that 20-minute prayer she had, she could feel God's presence with her. And she could feel the healing start right then. And that's such an amazing testimony. For people out there who are suffering, maybe you're a spouse and now you are widowed or a family member from someone that has been taken due to suicide, um, there are resources out there for you. And you may not know where to start. Um, I wanted to give you a couple. One of them is from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have a website, which is afsp.org. And I'm going to put that in our show notes. I was on there looking around today and they have an amazing amount of resources, support groups for every kind of possible age group, men, woman, child, everything. Maybe if you feel at risk, there's a support group. So a lot of resources to go on and check that out there as well. And I don't want anybody out there to think their life doesn't matter, that, that suicide is the answer. And if you feel alone and you do not have anybody, you don't have a family member, you don't have a spouse, and you feel like you have no one and you just need to talk, 
There is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. It's 24 hours a day, open every day. If you need to talk, if you need some help, don't forget to call that and get that assistance. This episode was very powerful or really amazing, and I'm so honored that Jessica decided to share her story with us. I can't appreciate you guys enough for listening to the podcast and supporting this mission and spreading that message of hope with others. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook at the Unwritten Life Podcast Group. We're on Instagram at the Unwritten Life Podcast. You can go to my website, unwrittenlifepodcast.com, where you can see the show notes, and you can contact me there as well. Also, if you are enjoying the show, I ask every episode, and I really mean it, and I would really love it. If you can leave a written review and a rating on iTunes, that really helps get the message of hope out, helps the podcast to be seen in front of more and more people. And don't forget to reach out to the people who have been on the podcast. So when I supply all their contact information in the show notes, make sure you reach out to them. They love to hear from you. They would love to be a resource for you, and they would love to be just a sounding board for what you're going through because they've been through it and they can maybe help you out with that. So we've come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your life, the end of your journey at all. Remember, you matter. You can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.